morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Um, I see some faces in here, some new faces I haven't had a chance to meet yet. Um, so I'll introduce myself. My name is Ben Schultz. Um, I'm here on staff at the church and I have the privilege of speaking here this morning. Got a question. Who's ready for Christmas? Anyone ready for Christmas yet? All right, how many of you have a lot of work left to do to get ready for Christmas? Uh-huh. The more people in that boat. Um, you know, there's a lot that we do to get ready. Uh, I'm sure you have a shopping list of things that you need to, um, to buy or order online. Or um, How many of you have set up a tree, in your, set up a tree yet? So, okay, some of you are, uh, are ahead of the game. Good for you guys. Some of us still have to get our tree out or go get it. Um, hang some lights. Hang some decorations. There's a lot to do. I hope I'm not making anyone nervous this morning. You're thinking of, oh no, I have a lot left to do. Um, and God forbid that you're having people over at your house for the holidays. That, I think, takes it up another level, doesn't it? You need to clean the house, you know, maybe hide some stuff in the closet. You know, maybe you have to bake some food. You have a lot to do to get ready. Um, well, sorry if I made you guys feel nervous this morning. This morning we're talking about it's time to get ready. It's time to get ready. And um, I am talking about Christmas, but I'm talking about the coming of Jesus. Amen? It's time to get ready. This morning, we're going to look at the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a man who was sent by God to tell people, it's time to get ready. John the Baptist was quite the character as you can tell from this photo. And the title of today's message, like I said, is Get Ready. And I feel like if you were to, um, if you wanted to give John's life a theme, the theme of John's life is get ready. That's what he came to tell the people. That was the purpose of his life. And that's the message we need to hear this morning. So, John the Baptist, I'm going to give you a quick summary if you're not familiar with his story. Um, his father was Zechariah. He was a priest. His mother, her name was Elizabeth, um, and she was cousins with Mary, famously of the whole Jesus birth thing. Um, so he's closely related to Jesus. Um, but his story starts before Jesus was born. In fact, his story starts before John was born. Um, his father, Zechariah, was a priest. He was in the temple doing whatever priests do in a temple. And suddenly, an angel appeared. And that was kind of unusual, so it got his attention. His angel appeared and had a message for him. Um, and actually, if you want to follow along, we're going to be in the book of Luke today. Um, and we're starting chapter 1 where we find this story. Uh, I'm going to read a couple different portions from, that, from Luke. So if you have your Bibles you want to turn there, uh, you can follow along. So this angel shows up, and he has some surprising news for Zechariah. And he says, and this is, I'm starting in verse 14 of Luke chapter 1. And he says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. 
And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And get this last line here. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, birth announcements are always an exciting thing, right? When someone's having a baby and they announce it, that's always exciting. But this one is a little extra special. Because not only do we have an elderly couple here that, that um, I forgot to mention this part of the story, is they were never able to have children. And they were older, they had no kids, and that was, you know, they were very um, sad about that. So this was really special to them that in their old age, they were going to have a son. Um, but it's even more exciting than that because of this prophecy that the child that they're going to have will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will bring many people back to God. He will make people ready, prepared for the Lord. His life mission was to get people ready. Get people ready. Because God was getting ready to do something absolutely incredible. In the history of mankind, this might be the most important moment in human history. God is about to do something Huge, And it's not just big for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's not just big for the Jewish people and their nation. This is big for all of humanity, including me and including you. He was going to send his son, the son of God, in the form of a human, to earth. And that changes everything. He's changing the way that God interacts with humans, which still blows my mind. God, God who was before anything and created everything, the most beautiful thing you can think of on this planet, he created. Waterfalls, sunsets, the tree colors in the fall, the snow that falls, beaches, animals, all of that, this God created. He created a perfect planet that's beautiful, and full of life. And he looked at it, and you know what he said? He said, it's good, but something is missing. He looked at the perfect world, and he said, something's missing. And you know what was missing? You, and me, and all these people. And that blows my mind, that God would look at a perfect planet and say, I need Ben to be there. I need you to be there. I need everyone else to be there. It's not quite right. This sunset might be beautiful, but I need someone to share it with. And he thought of me. And it's just absolutely... And so he has this perfect world, and he wants to bring me into it. But he knows if I bring people, if I bring humans into this perfect world, I'm going to mess it up. He's right, isn't he? He's right. Give us a little bit of time. We'll find a way to screw it up. And he knew... If I bring people in, it's going to mess it up. So he had a plan to send his son, his only son, the perfect son of God, that in some incredible miracle, we could take on the perfection and the righteousness of Jesus. Because of Jesus, I belong in that perfect world that he created. I belong forever in that perfect place, and so do you. 
If you believe in Jesus, then you belong in that perfect place that he created. Amen? Isn't that some exciting news? That's the exciting thing that God's going to do. Yeah. And he wanted people to get ready for it. He wanted, he wanted people to get ready for this thing that he was doing. So he sent John the Baptist to tell people, get ready for this. Now, as I mentioned, John the Baptist was kind of a character. Um, he was kind of like Elijah. He was kind of rep- compared to Elijah. And there's a reason why he's similar to Elijah. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet that was also a little bit crazy. Lived out in the wilderness, uh, ate food that birds gave him, um, and just had a tendency to uh, give prophetic words uh, that were in people's faces and challenged what people thought and didn't really care what other people thought about the way that he lived or dressed or spoke. Um, and John the Baptist was a little bit similar. Uh, we know from other parts of this, the scripture that John lived in the wilderness. He regularly wore animal skins, um, and he snacked on locusts and wild bugs and honey, and he also said all kinds of crazy things to people, uh, it, which was God's word to them. And so I, I ask this question, as I read this about this, I think, why did God choose John the Baptist? Okay. If I had this huge, exciting thing that I wanted to, to do, and I wanted to announce it to people, I wouldn't pick a crazy, long-haired, hippie kind of person to do my announcement, right? I would pick somebody maybe a little more well-dressed, a little more well-spoken, a little more graceful than John. But that's not what, 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 God, what God did. And why? Why did God pick someone like that? I think he was trying to get people's attention. And you know, it's human nature. When we see a crazy person, we can't stop watching. Right? Am I right about that? Um, And so God sends, uh, forgive me, John the Baptist, but God sends a crazy man to get people's attention. Which, by the way, it makes me wonder, as I was thinking about this, what does God need to do to get my attention? If he was going to do something amazing and he wanted to let me know, could he just tell me or would he need to send a crazy person? What does God need to do to get my attention? And I hope that I'm listening closely enough and following closely enough that I hear what he has to say and to hear what he's trying to tell me. Maybe God is trying to get your attention this morning. Maybe God has sent me here to tell you to get ready for something that Jesus is going to do in your life. So, um, the Jewish people who John the Baptist was sent to, these people have a long history of following God and serving God. And they had many prophecies spoken by the prophets of old that someday a Messiah would come, a Savior would come, and he would rescue their people. Rescue them um, from, they believe, the occupation of their enemies, and rescue them and set up a, a nation for them. And these prophecies were hundreds of years old, and I, I can see why it would have been easy for them to forget about this promise of a Messiah that was coming. They probably weren't thinking about that all the time. They were probably thinking about their sheep and their fishing boats and their harvest and all the day-to-day things that they had to do. They probably weren't thinking 
um, is there a Messiah coming to save us? And so that's why John's important, because he reminds people to remember the promise of what God's going to do. John's birth, just his birth, started to remind people of the promises. Um, so if you're in Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read in verse 67, starting there. So what happens is, John the Baptist is born, and immediately his father gives a prophetic word about John's life. And in this prophetic word, you can see that they're remembering the promises that God has spoken. They're remembering that there is a promised Messiah that's coming. So here's what Zechariah said. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, and he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people, and he has redeemed them. He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, he's talking about Jesus. Maybe he doesn't know it, because this is before Jesus was born, but when he says a horn of salvation in the house of David, he's talking about Jesus, who God had promised, as he's spoken through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant, an oath that he swore to Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. So he's giving a prophetic word um, to his, of his son, but really he's talking about Jesus, right? And at this point, I imagine that Zechariah is giving this prophetic word, and then he turns and he looks at the little, the, his baby, his son, John the Baptist. I actually picture, um, it's like when we have a, um, a, new, a new child is born and we do a baby dedication, and Pastor Chris prays for this young child, and you can see the kid's face is just like, what's going on? I could picture it was probably like that. John the Baptist was probably staring wide-eyed at his, his father, who then turns to him and says, and you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord, watch this, to prepare the way for him, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Again, talking about Jesus when he says the rising sun from heaven. He might not know it, but that's what he's speaking of. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into peace. So in Zechariah's prophecy of his son, he refers to the holy prophets long ago. He refers to an ancient covenant that God has with his people. He refers to an oath that God swore to Abraham. He's remembering the promises. He's remembering a Messiah is coming. He's remembering salvation is coming. He's reminding them the way life is right now is not the way life will always be. There is something better coming, and I have a feeling it's coming soon. Amen? Amen. Promises create expectations. Promises create expectations. Like when you tell your spouse that you're going to take the trash out before you leave for work, there's an expectation. Some of you can relate to that, right? So when God said, 
a Messiah would come, his people had every right to expect that a Messiah would come. John had been sent to prepare the way, to raise expectations, to remind people that he was coming. So John's message to the people in his day uh, was, get ready for Jesus. Get ready for Jesus. But it's also a message to us today. We need to hear the same thing. Just like the people in John's day, we get busy with our day-to-day lives. We get busy with taking care of the kids and going to work and paying the bills and all the things that we need to do, and we forget. We lose sight of the fact that there is something better coming. We forget to pay attention that there are promises that God made that He will fulfill. We have every right to expect that Jesus will show up. Just like the the Jewish people did before their promise was fulfilled, we have every right to expect that Jesus will show up. And we need to get ready for that. Are you ready for that to happen? Are you ready for Jesus to show up in your life? Get ready. He's coming. So, Back to John the Baptist. After John's unexpected, somewhat unusual, prophecy-filled birth, he grows up and, for whatever reason, spends a lot of time in the wilderness. And I imagine being out in the wilderness is probably where he picks up some of his um, weird, crazy habits, dressing in camel's clothing and um, eating locusts, that kind of stuff. Probably comes from wilderness living, just a guess. Um, But it's also where he first hears the word of God. And I'm in Luke. If you turn to Luke chapter 3, we're going to skip ahead just a little bit here in the story. And we're going to see as John grows up and he begins to step into his ministry, he begins to preach, he begins to, he hears from God and begins to speak to people the word that God gives him. So I'm in Luke chapter 3. I think this is in verse uh, 2 or 3 there right near the beginning. The story picks up with John's story, and it says that he heard a word from God, and he went into all of the country that was around the Jordan. The Jordan is a river uh, in that area, and so he would baptize people um, in the Jordan River. So that's why a lot of his preaching happened near the banks of the Jordan River. And he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, once again referring back to an Old Testament prophet of a promise that was coming. And this is what Isaiah said. It's the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley will be filled in. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked roads shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. So John begins his preaching, telling people, get ready. And he begins to baptize them as a sign of their repentance. This is the word God gave them is tell people, get ready. Tell them to repent for their sins and get baptized. And a lot of people apparently respond to this message. And they come to get baptized. And John responds to these large crowds. You think he would be excited about a large crowd of people coming out to, to get baptized, right? I would be excited about that. People like what I'm preaching. This is good. John's excited about that, right? No. John says to the crowd coming out, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? And I'm like, John, you did. What do you mean who warned them? You warned them. You told them to get baptized. 
But John says, what are you doing? Why are you coming out here to get baptized? And then he gets to the heart of the matter, and he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't say, this is how I I read this verse right here. Don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these very stones right here, God could raise up children for Abraham. And the axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Wow, John really knows how to work a crowd, doesn't he? He makes them feel real <laughs> warm and fuzzy for coming out to his, uh, his uh, baptism service. But I think there's a reason why he was challenging them. John was challenging the status quo. People had gotten way too comfortable with the way things are, and he needed to challenge them. They had this mindset, we are God's people, we have God's laws, we have God's commandment, we have God's house. We are God's people. We're in a good place. And John came out and challenged him and said, just because you're God's people, just because Abraham is your father, you think you're in a good place, but you better repent. You better repent, and not just an outside repentance, you better change your heart. Don't assume based on someone's behavior, someone's lifestyle, somebody's position, that they are ready for Jesus. Don't assume that you are ready for Jesus just because you attend church or because you're a good citizen. Where is your heart at? That's the question. They were God's people, but they didn't realize how far from God they had drifted. Twelve years ago, when we bought our house here in Warsaw, um, we did some renovations. We repainted, I think, just about every room in our house. Um, But we never really totally finished painting our living room. Um, It was mostly painted, but there was like one unpainted spot in one corner, and there was like a little drywall mud work that needed to be done. Some of the trim wasn't totally buttoned up, like little things like that. That you know, I don't know if you've ever done this before. You say to yourself, I'm going to get to that soon. But then we move in, and you start living there, and you, just, you don't notice those things anymore. You kind of get comfortable with it. And the longer you live there, the less you notice it, and the more comfortable you get. Unfortunately, my wife never stopped noticing it. Um, and so, thankfully, last month, we, uh, we didn't finish painting. We just repainted. We repainted. We finished the drywall work. We finished the trim. Got everything all buttoned up. And it wasn't until we finally um, repainted that I realized how much work there really was to do, how many little things we had been ignoring for so long. And this is something that we all do. It's, it's Honestly, it's human nature. Hear me say this. If you live in any situation long enough, you get comfortable with it. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Some of us have bad habits, unhealthy habits, things that we know we don't like that we do, but we've been doing it so long that we're comfortable with it. Some of us have relationships with loved ones, parents, and children that are not good, and we're not proud of how these relationships are, but we've been living with them long enough, we're cut comfortable. Some of us have a distant relationship from God. We didn't mean to walk away from God. We just drifted away with the busyness of life. And then we got comfortable with it. We got comfortable 
with the distance. And we figured, this is how life is. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? That's a great question. That's actually the exact question that the people responded to John with. They said, okay, what should we do then? You told us that we are a brood of vipers, and there's an axe being put to the root of our tree. What are we supposed to do? This is my challenge to you. Get ready for Jesus by welcoming change. Get ready for Jesus by welcoming change into your life. Most people like change until they have to make a change that they don't like. And I'm just going to give you a heads up. When Jesus comes into your life, he's going to make changes. And you might not like all of them. So get ready for Jesus by welcoming the changes that he wants to bring. In, in the prophecy about John, in John's preparation and describing his ministry, there's this picture that's painted. It says, every valley will be brought up and every mountain will be brought low. And the way will be made smooth. It's a metaphor but I think it's a good metaphor. It shows us when Jesus comes into our life, there's going to be some changes. And some things that are low in our life that are lacking are going to be brought up. And some things that are real, a real problem that are standing out might need to be brought down. The terrain needs to be adjusted. The heart needs to be adjusted. If, you, if we want to ready ourselves to receive Jesus, we need to remove the obstacles the valleys and the hills and the things that might prevent or slow Jesus from coming into our lives. We need to remove those obstacles, which, of course, when you think about it, is kind of a funny thing to say because what obstacle is going to prevent Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, always has been. Nothing can stop him, right? There's no mountain that can stop him. There's no spiritual power that can stop him. What can stop him? My heart and your heart. Because he's not going to force himself into anyone's life. And if you don't make a room for him, if you don't welcome him in, he's not going to force his way in. So you are the thing that can stop him. You are the thing that can set up obstacles. And so John responds to this people's question by addressing attitudes of the heart. He talks about some behavior stuff, but really, John's addressing the attitudes of their heart. So, let's go back to the scripture. He says, the crowd says, what should we do then? And John answers and says, well, anybody who has two shirts should share with someone who has none. How many people have more than one shirt? And this verse applies to you. If you have two shirts, you should share one with someone who has none. Or anyone who has food should do the same. John is saying, listen, you need to exchange your selfishness for generosity. You need to make a change in your attitude of of selfishness and self-focus and see other people. He goes on. um, The tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said, Teacher, what should we do? And John responds and says, Don't collect any more than you're required to. So he, he challenges greed, and he says, If there's greed in your heart, that needs to be changed into honesty and generosity. Then some soldiers came, and they said, Well, what should we do? He said, Don't extort people for money. Don't accuse people falsely. And just be content with what you have. Your power, your position, and your control over others should be exchanged for kindness and compassion and contentment. 
John is preaching repentance to the people. Repent. But listen, repentance, repentance must begin with an awareness of sin. You can't repent for something that you're not aware of. Um, I'm thinking of when I have my kids, uh, they get in some type of disagreement, and I have my kids apologize to each other. Tell them you're sorry, and then I'll, and they'll say, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? I don't know. He told me to say I'm sorry. <laughs> I kind of think the same thing. Like, are we supposed to repent for something if we don't even know what we're sorry for? So John, he's putting it in our faces, and he's showing us our selfishness and our greed and our control. So we can see the places where we need repentance. Repentance begins with an awareness of the sin. And the people that John spoke to were God's people. Yet, they were unaware of some of these ungodly, sinful attitudes and lifestyles. They had learned to obey the law. They had learned to go to the temple. They had learned how to do the sacrifices. But they hadn't changed their hearts. And that, that was the problem. In fact, that was a big problem with the Pharisees. If you're familiar with the story of Jesus and the, and in his ministry, he often confronted the Pharisees were her group of people who knew the law and performed it to the strictest sense, but their hearts were not in the right place. And it's easy for us to judge the Pharisees and say, how could they miss Jesus that was right in front of them? Why were they so obsessed with the little tiny parts of the law and missing Jesus in front of them? But I'm telling you, if we're honest, we do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing. We go to church, we're nice to people, we pay our taxes, and we pat ourselves on the back and we say, aren't we good Christians? And we ought to pause and we ought to ask, Jesus, are there any obstacles in my life? Are there any obstacles in my heart? Is there anything that would prevent, is there anything that would even slow you from coming into my life right now? My schedule is my schedule an obstacle for Jesus? My finances and, and the way that I think about my money, is that an obstacle for Jesus coming into my life? My relationships, the way I treat people, does that slow him from coming? God, don't let there be anything that would prevent Jesus from coming. Repentance is not just about feeling sorry for your sin. Repentance is not just feeling bad. Repentance is do things different. It's making a change. It's changing the way you think and changing the way you act. That's what repentance is. That's what John was saying to the, the people at the river. He was saying, don't just come and get in the water and, and go back to your lifestyle. Change what you're doing. Change the way that you act, the way you treat people. And that's what I'm telling you this morning. Get ready for Jesus by welcoming these changes. He wanted to make sure that the repentance um, was not just a religious act. It was actually a change in their attitudes. But it's not just about sin. Getting ready for Jesus is about more than that. You need to renew your hope. You get ready for Jesus by you renewing your hope. And this, I believe, is one of the most important things that John the Baptist did, is that he reminded people something better is coming. Something better is about to happen. Don't get content with life right now because something good is on the way. And he began to stir that up in people. He began to create this desire, this anticipation of 
Yeah, that's right. There is a Messiah. I wonder if that could be soon. Could that be now? I wonder where, he's, where he is. What's he going to look like? What's he going to say? So if you're following along in, in Luke chapter 3, I think it's the next verse. Um, it says, the people were waiting expectantly. You can see it right there. They were waiting expectantly. Like, what is coming next? They were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them and said, he's clarifying, no, I am not the Messiah. He said, I baptize you with water, but there is one who is more powerful than I who will come. The straps of his sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other things, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Promises create expectation. Expectation creates hope because you have something to look forward to. You have something to believe in. You have something to hope for. After hearing him speak, the people were waiting expectantly. They were anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. They even started to question, maybe John is the Messiah. They had something to look forward to, and it was a promise that had come before. So let me ask you a question. What are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to? Are you expecting Jesus? Because I got to tell you, if you, in case you've forgotten, I need to remind you, there is a promise that a Messiah is coming, that a Savior is coming. Are you expecting him? We should be expecting it. We should be looking for it. It's like uh, when you order something online. How many of you guys have done this? But order something online, and uh, then you get a tracking number that says when it's going to show up. And you keep checking to see, okay, it's going to be end of the day Tuesday. You, of course, you check it on Monday as if that's going to help just to make sure it's still on track. And then Tuesday, you know, you look out the, the front doors and you see the UPS truck drive by and you're like, maybe that's my package. You're expecting it to show up. You're waiting for it. You're anticipating it if you're ordering something exciting, something you like, right? Um, it should be the same way. We have a promise that Jesus is going to come. We have a promise of him in our life. But are we looking forward to it? Are we anticipating it? Are we expecting it? Are we ready for it? In that family relationship that has gone sour, are you expecting that Jesus is going to bring healing in that relationship? For that unhealthy habit, that thing you wish you could quit doing, are you expecting that Jesus is going to show up and help you overcome? For that physical pain that you deal with every single day, are you expecting that Jesus is there to comfort you, to walk with you? And, and I, I understand, it can be easy to lose hope um, when we, we face the same things every single day. It can be easy to lose hope or lose focus when we are just every single day we're doing different things. We're going to work and we're doing our chores and doing our job and we're taking care of our family. It can be easy. But I want to remind you, just like the Jewish people had the promise of a Savior, we also have the promise of a Savior. It says that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. That's a promise that some of us need to hold on to. 
we look at our life and maybe we're discouraged about who I am or where I'm at right now. I'm telling you, the one who started the good work in you, he is a faithful God and he will finish it. So you can expect it. You can look for it. It's coming. Get ready for it. It might bring some changes, but it's coming. He said, when you walk through the valley, when you walk through a dark valley, he will never leave you. He will be there. His rod and his staff will comfort you in that place. So you can expect it. If you're in a dark place, you can look for it. You get ready for it. It says that um, he knows what you need. Even before you ask, he knows what you need. And Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, the Father will give it to you. It will be given to you. So you can expect, if you have a need, he's going to provide for you. You can look for that. Be ready for that. Are you ready for Jesus? Are there any obstacles that need to be removed? Does your hope need to be renewed? So I want to challenge you with this question. Just take one moment here before we close and think, what change do you need to make to be ready for Jesus? I'm going to close with a prayer, but I'm going to pause before I do just to give you a minute to think about that. Maybe write that question down or just put it in your phone or think about that. What change do I need to make to get ready for Jesus? Because he's coming. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your promise of nearness. Thank you for your promise that you are coming. We thank you for the gospel. And I pray right now that you would help us as a people to be ready. Help us to remove the obstacles. Help us to renew our hope in you. Help us to see you when you come in our life. Help us to see it when you come. We want to be ready for you. We welcome you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Be blessed. Have a good week.